Welcome to another episode of Ask a Movie Night. My name is Mikey Mhenna. Today with us, we have the film director of Our River, Our Sky, Maysoon Pachachi. Maysoon is a London-based filmmaker of Iraqi origin who has worked for many years as a documentary film, TV drama, and feature film editor in the UK. Today, we're discussing, as I mentioned, her first fiction feature film as director, Our River, Our Sky, which was shot in Iraq in 2019. The project was awarded the IWC Gulf Filmmaker Award at the Dubai International Film Festival in December 2012 and Best Ensemble Performance from the British Independent Film Awards in 2022. Maysoon also co-founded the Independent Film and Television College, which is a free-of-charge film training center in Baghdad, which ran for 10 years and whose students produced 18 short documentary films, which were shown internationally and received 14 festival prizes. It is an honor to have you on our program, Maysoon. Welcome to Afikra. Thank you very much for inviting me to be here. I'm very happy to be here. This film that we're talking about, it's really interesting. Um, somebody who's had a career as long as yours to sort of venture into the world of uh features and fiction um at the stage in your career that you did um was that a an exciting venture or a scary venture um or a combination yeah it was both it was definitely both um i just decided there's a there's a way in which uh fiction can somehow get beneath the surface of things um, and, and uh, create a kind of intimacy, which is more difficult with documentary films. Um, but uh, I'd made quite a few documentary films about that time, and this was a film that I had to make. And so I just uh, pitched into it. I mean, what was the hardest thing for me about it, really, was the fact that uh, it's all the bureaucracy that goes with making a full-length feature film co-production. And... Um, so all that was difficult. And raising the money took something like seven, eight years, for example. And it's not, yeah. it's not an expensive film. You know, it's quite a, a small film in a way. So all of that was a, very, quite different. Whereas the documentary films, largely, especially the later ones, it was just me and my camera and uh, a microphone. You know, I was reading your bio and uh, it says you, you studied philosophy at um, UCL in London. Um, and then later went into filmmaking. If I were had, if I had been speaking to the sort of twenty year old Maysoon at UCL, were you basic? Would you have said to me, "Yeah, I'm kind of going through the motions, finishing this philosophy degree, <laughs> but what I really want to do is film"? Or you had no idea? Well, what happened was this. I mean, I was um, my uh, my dad was at the UN for a long time, and so I did all my high school in New York. Uh, then they uh, got transferred back to Baghdad, and I was I did my first year of college in the States. And I came across a book called A Montage of Theories, and it was just a lot of interviews with uh, filmmakers. So I thought to myself, this is it. This is it. This is what I really want to do. And so on my weekends off, I used to go back to New York and go to the UN library and see what... Um, film schools were available around the world. I wanted to also to get out of the States at that point. I just wanted to, a change to be living somewhere else. And um, I came to London and I found myself in a postgraduate seminar, which I was not, I mean, I wasn't postgraduate, I wasn't graduate even, <laughs> um, uh, run by a man called Thorold Dickinson, who was a, a quite um, left-wing filmmaker director in the 1940s in this uh, in this country in um, 
uh, in, in Britain. And uh, he just showed a lot of films that wasn't a practical course, um, but uh, we saw an incredible number of films from the very early days of cinema till, till the French New Wave, till Italian Neorealism. And I saw films I'd never seen before, um, you know, Japanese, Indian films, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my first training. So on my Christmas holiday, I went back to Baghdad to see my parents. And my dad said to me, um, I, what are you doing? You know, you, you did very well in high school. Um, you were doing well in college. You need to get a proper academic degree. And I was too sort of unsure of myself at that time. And I went back to, to London and I went into the philosophy department of UCL. And the, the place that I had been seeing the films was at UCL as well at the Slade School of Art. And, and had a sort of what turned out to be a sort of two-hour conversation with the head of the department. Um, and uh, he said to me, are you going to apply here? And I, I said, uh, well, I don't know. I don't think so. And he said, well, if you are, I think we can probably offer you a place. And so that's what I did. But I spent a lot of my time in the philosophy department doing agit prop street theater. So, and sneaking off <laughs> to see the films that were being shown at the Slade School of Art. So I knew I wanted to make films from that time. Yeah. And I was, I was sort of 1920, exactly at that time. Yeah. What, what sort of impact does being the child of a diplomat um, have on your perspective, um, especially the child of a diplomat uh, of a country that sort of embroiled in turmoil much because of international politics? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I imagine that it's like, has a very complicated effect on you uh, and one that's probably still unraveling. Um, but the, that, you know, that, that young student sitting in that chair at UCL, was that young student primarily interested in stories from and of and about Iraq or was, you know, were you sort of detaching? That sort of that sort of uh, crystallized for me. This the sort of um, focus on Iraq crystallized for me during the ninety one Gulf War, because like all the other Iraqis in London, I was sat glued to the TV twenty four hours a day, and I saw that you couldn't, you never saw one ordinary Iraqi person on the screen in all those thousands of hours of media coverage, and I thought it was like um, the country, and it's, it's like the country was empty. And it was. It felt like the whole place was being effaced off the of the of the map off the map. Kind of thing. And I was quite traumatized by that. I mean, to the extent of I forgot my name. Um, I forgot how old. I couldn't figure out how old I was. Whether I, was I sixteen or forty six or what? You know. And um, eventually, out of that, I, I found myself making a film about Iraqi women in exile who were living here in in, in London from uh, you know, different ages, different uh, class backgrounds, different religions and all of that kind of thing. And so I made a, a documentary, that was my first documentary film. And it's basically a series of interviews with people, with women who had stories to tell, who had been waiting for 30 years to tell them, basically. Um, and a lot of archive footage, um, which, and it was a film for Channel 4 here in this, in this country. And that was the beginning of it. But it came out of a kind of trauma. And it was a sort of, and I sort of understood that in a way, um, sometimes you remake in art, whatever kind, um, 
something that's been shattered in real life. So that's that that started me on my way. Yeah. What profit, what effect did it have on coping with the shatter? I mean, was it just like um did it feel like an effective tool to not to be glib, but to to remember your name, so to speak? Um yeah. it it did, it did. It it gave me a sense of well, I can do this. You know, I can do this is what I can do. And um and so, you know, I, and I stayed involved with Iraq from that point on. And um, not not all the films I made subsequently were about Iraq at all. But um, but I became part of a, uh, I founded a group, co-founded a group uh, with Nadia Ali, who's a um, professor um, at SOAS at the time. And um, it was a women's group, women, uh, Iraqi and non-Iraqi women based in, in Britain. Um, it was a group against the sanctions. I campaigned against the sanctions and against the war um, in Iraq. So slowly, bit by bit, I got sort of more and more absorbed into the business of Iraq. And I hadn't yeah. been growing up particularly, except that it was always on the fringes of our lives because my dad was representing Iraq at the UN, for example. And so every upheaval and tremor um, came home to us, but we were living far away from it. Yeah. And so the period of time we're talking about are in the the sort of the nineties during the the first and second Gulf War. That was right. 90, yeah, the ninety one Gulf War was yeah. what started me on my way. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. I, I'm curious, sort of like uh, longitudinally, but also geographically. Um, what sort of public? What were the differences in public reception to your work? Compare if you look at the UK in the nineties the U.S. in the 90s, and then sort of the U.K. and the U.S. in the 21st century. Are there, uh, you know, discernible differences in terms of public interest in understanding these nuanced stories that you're willing to present that don't look like just CNN images of bombs from 30, you know, airplanes from 30,000 feet? Yeah, well, some, I mean, um, it's here, I found it very difficult here in, in the U.K., um, I was quite on the margins, you know, the, the films that I wanted to make didn't seem to be, uh, films that anybody wanted to, was that interested in, uh, but I went ahead anyway. And actually, um, some of my uh, documentaries were funded by, uh, German and, uh, French TV, you know, um, like Arte and ZDF, for example, but not here. Um, and, uh, in the States, they got a, they got a showing and one of my films, um, which was a sort of slightly spaced out road documentary road movie with um, a woman who drove a bus in Iran, drove a bus um, from Tehran to Bandar Abbas. It's a 24 hour journey. And um, I made that film for Arte and ZDF. And it was, it was a, it was a really enjoyable film to make. It was about women basically in Iran. Um, that got, um, a certain amount of distribution in in the states, and did quite well, and was seen in in uh, um, colleges, really mostly than cinemas. And I made a film in um, two thousand and four when I returned to Iraq for the first time in thirty five years, and um, I shot a film. And my dad had gone back at the age of eighty to try to sort of do something, um, which he subsequently really wasn't able to do, but. Um, uh, 
that that film was also shown on Arte and ZDF, and it was shown in, in a couple of cinemas in New York. So I've had that kind of sense. So in a way, I've had more reception, and in in the reception, the reaction to um, our river, our sky, to the screenings that it's had in the states have been really, uh, really positive and very engaged. You know, people. It's the the film has been shown, for example, at, at several colleges, and at one of them, for example. Um, some of the students wrote essays and they sent me lists of questions and I, it opened up a dialogue between us and it was great. You know? So now um, it's finally going to be distributed in this country in um, September. But we yeah. have a special screening on the 10th of March, which is the 20th anniversary of the invasion um, here in London. So it'll get a bit more traction that way. But it's, but this is, this is, not a very film for me. I, what I find, it's not a very, very film friendly um, situation. Yeah, you know, you had mentioned maybe before we actually talk about talk about it more. Um, if you can set the scene, so um, the film takes place in what I remember as 2006 Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, for those listening, the uh, invasion of Iraq. Uh, started in 2003 if i remember correctly the invasion that's right 2003 yeah yeah so 2006 so this is um a few years into that strife um and there is a very specific set of circumstances so if you can just set the scene a little bit um soon for our listeners um and then we're going to listen to the the um listen to the trailer yeah okay well um 2006, the country was still under uh, U.S. occupation, and uh, but there was uh, uh, it was a time of, of um, intense sectarian violence. Suddenly, there were these um, sectarian between two branches of Islam, basically, and neighborhoods began div- being divided from each other. It's a very pluralistic society uh, in uh, Iraq, and um, there was an incredible splitting that was going on, and this. Um, one of the major incidents that triggered the kind of intense violence that was and barbaric violence that was going on between the sects was um, that there was a very important Shia shrine in the south of the country that was um, bombed by Al-Qaeda in, in Iraq, who had taken grip of everything. And so um, that made for a very, uh, you know, a very strong reaction between people. And so you got you got a situation where uh, people who'd been neighbors for, um, you know, yet decades, um, who came from different um, different religions or different, that were no longer really able to meet, you know. And I, for example, I have uh, I have friends who, you know, the uh, the a couple, um, the man is Shia, the woman was Sunni, and uh, they had children, and there was nowhere they could actually live together. Because you know this section, this this uh, this uh, area now became completely Shia. This area became Sunni, and uh, there were checkpoints that were, uh, and it was just a hideous time. And um, I I just decided, and I you know I was very much, I wasn't there. I wasn't there in two thousand and six, but I was very much in touch with the students um, of our college who were there, and I was hearing their experiences, and through the women's group also hearing what was going on. And I, I just thought, how, how are people living through this? How are, you know, how do they um, find the courage every morning to get out of bed 
and renew a fragile sense of hope that gets them out the door and gets their kids to school and so forth. How can they, you know, how can they live any kind of normality? And I wanted to sort of explain that um, to people because the Iraqi people have gone through trauma after trauma after trauma, including 35 years of dictatorship and so forth. And nobody's had time to kind of repair or uh, heal or anything. And it's in that context that this um, suddenly it's as if the world outside you and inside you, because it's shattering inside, is shattering. I often, I often say that what it was like is if you were um, holding a mirror in your hands and it slips from your hands and it shatters into a thousand pieces. And if you're very lucky and you don't lose any of the pieces, you can maybe um, reconstruct the shape of the original mirror. But now it's fractured and the fractures show. And that was the image that led me. So the, the film is kind of a, an active repair in some way. Yeah, and even if you do repair, the image that you're left with of yourself is one with cracks. Well, exactly. And, it's, yeah. and, it's, and the other thing to say about it, it's, its form is slightly, is, is a bit unusual. Um, and this was part of the, the difficulty in getting funding for it, because it's not a singular story about a central, character and a single and a, and a central and central story that all the other characters or incidents feed you know there isn't that kind of hierarchy everybody is at the center of their story so it's a it's a it's a film of intersecting stories intersecting individual stories that plays out over the last week of 2006 and um and in the end you get a kind of collective picture it's a bit like a um, like a Persian miniature. Um, sometimes you see a Persian miniature, for example, of a market. And in every corner of the picture space, you see a different story going on. You know, in the center, there are two merchants arguing about something, but over here, there's a woman with her baby. And over here, there's another story. And over here, there are lovers. And all of it becomes the um, portrait, in a way, depiction of that time and place. Well, my film is like that. Basically, that was one of the inspirations. Yeah, beautiful. Um, it's interesting, as you were describing it, I, I was just looking at the poster, which I have on the screen for those who are listening to the podcast who can't see it. And it the, the artwork itself is also um, in fragments with, with cracks and different storylines and um, overlapping ideas and unfinished frames. And it uh, um, speaks, speaks to that idea quite effectively. Um, Let's watch the trailer, um, which is on YouTube. For those who want to uh, look it up, you can look up Our River, and then there are three ellipses and Our Sky. So let's listen to it, and then we will talk more. لازم نتعلم ريما ريما يلا لحيروح جايين نور جايين اكو شيء يا ابو حيدر؟ نعم اكو شيء؟ 
كل شيء معكم بس اني ابد ما اترك العراق You know, that last line, uh, Maysoon, is haunting for me um, uh, because, you know, I was just talking to somebody. I'm, I'm in Beirut uh, and I was just talking to somebody who um, this guy who used to work at um, used to work in the army. He was an officer um, and now he's working with his family on a farm and he's barely making any money. I mean, he, he makes the equivalent of uh A monthly he makes three million lira, which used to be two thousand dollars, and now is fifty um, bucks um, uh, a month. And he was saying this idea of like, "There's no way I can leave. Mm. Like, no matter what, I can't leave. Not I won't leave. Mm-hmm. I can't leave." Mm. Um, and it's a haunting. It's a It's like at at once this idea of being shackled and being stuck, but also like not wanting to give up. Um, how much of you know like that that intention that this this woman uh, communicates? Do you feel like that's a uniform feeling across the board at that time, or is it you know more complicated than that? And some people don't feel that sense of persistence and you know um i don't know what the word is honestly i mean for me that's so heartbreaking hearing her say that it doesn't it doesn't fill me with hope or pride mm-hmm. it fills me with sadness to be honest well i think i mean uh, among among the people that um i know there are quite a few people including my co-writer Um, I mean, these are things I introduced into the film, but including my co-writer, who has a young daughter, had a young daughter who's now grown up. Um, that was her, that, you know, she, at, at one point, I remember when we were working on a documentary where I met her, I met her, Irada Jabori. And uh, it was at, and that, that was happening at the same time, it was 2006-07, that, that project was going on. It was a photograph, a women's uh, Uh, Iraqi women's photographic uh, project that was going on in Syria, and I made a film about it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I remember one of the Syrian women saying to her, you know, why don't you leave? Why don't you just leave, you know? And she said, um, I can't, yeah, I can't, I would, no, I won't leave. I, don't, I, I won't leave. And partly the dialogue in the film, that where um, the scene where Sarah's talking to her brother, And she sort of says, if I go, if I go live outside Iraq, I'll die. And she says, um, you know, this is, this is our sky. It's our river. It's our, you know, it's uh, that, that sense of this is, this is me. This is where I belong. And there's also a sense that if we leave, if we leave, if people like us who have, um, you know, certain ideas um, to give and, and have, have talents to, to give to the country, People like us leave, and who are we leaving the country to? You know, corrupt politicians who just lining their pockets, you know, and uh, militias and so forth. And so they won't leave. You know, I, I found I found that among a lot of people. 
and some people had to leave. They were forced to leave. For, you know, um, they had to leave. Um, I have a friend who went, and she finally got to Sweden and uh, so forth. And uh, she stayed there. And the minute she was able to, she came back. But she had to leave because her, her child was in, in danger. But I don't think a lot of people left willingly. Yeah. I, I really I really don't. And they have a sort of connection to the country. I mean, there are people in Iraq who have, you know, come hell or high water because our country. Yeah. Um, can I ask a question? Why 2006 in specifically? Because it's not like you you made the film in two thousand seven, and you know the, the idea happened, and you the, you know sort of the plot came together, and you thought, all right, well, I'm just going to do it today, you know, in in today's Iraq, uh, as you as you alluded to, you know, it took eight years or seven years of finding the financing and and getting it uh, out the door. Why two thousand six specifically? Because that was a particularly intense period in terms of the uh, in terms of sectarian violence and civil war that was going on. It was it was the two thousand six seven. That period was very very, and it was also um, the year that the Saddam was executed. You know, which actually didn't change anything. Um, but so it had a lot of, and it was also a year in which, as it happened. Um, the aid and Christmas kind of coincided, which was important. So I chose it because it was the, when I was, was making the film in Damascus. Um, you know, I could see I could see the effects. I mean, the the the, the women who'd come from Iraq to join in this photographic project um, made life maps, big you know charts of their life, and they and they uh, with lifelines and told their story in front of the other participants. And I could see that everybody was um, listening, not with their ears, but with their own story, in a sense. And uh, and it and but we were in the middle of of of, of um, you know a very difficult time. I mean, we were in Damascus; nothing was happening there uh, for for the Iraqis. But it was it had, they had just come out of there, and the stories they told about that time, two thousand and six. So I was very. Um, I just thought, well, this is, I don't know, it seemed like the right time to make it, really. Yeah. You know, you were mentioning this idea of the way the war wars have been covered um, in the West um, and the what sort of starts as a single story turns into a very singular story mm-hmm. and sort of dominates our uh, people's understanding of what this place looks like and um, and sort of blurs people's faces and the humanity of people on the ground. Um, I'm really curious about how do you feel like people understand what's happening in Iraq inside the Arab world Um, itself? I mean, the Arab world is not a single place and it's very complicated, but I feel like for me, I'm amazed at how ignorant I am constantly. I mean, maybe I should stop being amazed. (laughs) I should get the picture, but um, I'm amazed at like how little I really know about what's happening so close to me. I mean, uh, in in Syria and Iraq, it's amazing how little I really know about what's actually happening um, and the nuances of what's happening. Yeah, it's it is it is very difficult because it's also it's covered in terms of the media in the Arab world and outside the Arab world in a kind of reasonably superficial way you know it's not um you don't 
It's it it is it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, I think I, uh, you're right. It's um, and I, certainly um, outside the Arab world, when this film has been shown, well, it's this film was shown in Cairo, for example, and um, you know there were people who came and stayed afterwards and talked and and and, uh, and it was a mixed audience of, of Egyptians and Iraqis who happened to be living in Cairo. Um, but it was interesting because there was a real sort of, oh, it's like that. Oh, I never imagined it. I never imagined Iraq was like that. And this sort of, there's an idea of, and the people, are the people really like that? You know, it's not just the situation. It is is like so, uh, you know, Iraqis are sort of um, in their being violent people or something like that. You know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stereotypes. Yeah. So I yeah I can imagine it's like it was interesting here when we had a screening at the Rain Dance Film Festival, um, which was a mixed audience of Iraqis, uh, who I didn't expect to be there, but Iraqis and and um, and British people who not were not Iraqi, and um, it was a very interesting exchange because some of the people who were Iraqi of Iraqi origin who were sitting there were going, I I remember this time so well. I mean my dad my dad died in this in this period this, that, the other happened. And the British people were sort of listening. And, and it was like, and I was standing, you know, on the stage doing the sort of Q&A and I could see amongst the audience here, there was, oh, you know, because here it's like, well, the fighting stopped. What's the problem? You know, it's like, there's, a, there's an idea that um, these places are endemically sort of violent and dysfunctional, us yeah. in the Arab world. Um. I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the film um, and what sort of references or um, films you use as inspiration. Because this idea of intersecting stories and um, no single, you know, sort of single protagonist. And um, when you were coming up uh, with the idea, were there specific films that you were sort of referencing and think to yourself, this is actually a form that can work? And I love the way this film did this uh, and sort of treated this um, uh, this series of many different storylines. Well, I, it's going to sound funny because it's, I mean, in feel, it's quite it's the opposite of, of my film or the situation. But um, the rules of the game, um, Les Règles du Jeu, uh, yeah. was something that I saw when I was 19, when I first came here. And I was completely taken with the film because, because of it was, it's a lot of, that was a lot of intersecting stories unfolding in a, in a sort of um, aristocratic country house over a weekend where there was all kinds of different stories going on between the different people. And you kept moving around from story to story and coming back to it. And, um, you know, there's stuff that was going on between the, the uh, invited guests and then there was the servants and so forth. And I, there was something about it. I just, I, I loved the fact that it was a collective film that was all going on the same way. And I think, and I think that lodged with me, that film. It's also to do with living in big cities, which I've done most of my life. And there you're aware, you know, you go on the subway and there's, you know, I don't know, a hundred other people sitting on the subway and you start, you're sitting there and you start to wonder about other people's lives. You're waiting to cross the street and there's a whole bunch of people with you. 
and somebody makes a gesture and you get a sort of inkling of that something of that person's life. And this happens in cities a lot. And I, it's something I've always been interested in, to be out amongst people. Yeah. And, and the idea that my story, my three-act structure, whatever it is, my three-act um, life, is, is, is being lived in the context of everybody else's. And I think particularly in, in, in the situation that I was trying to describe in Iraq that time, um, when external circumstances are very strong and they impact on everybody, albeit in different ways, but everybody's affected by it, then you're very aware of living your life in the context of everybody else. Whereas when you're in a, a more settled place, you're just concerned with your, your, you know, your own story or your family or your friends, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, 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 that form really, um, it, it really, it's, that was my curiosity. Who, who is everybody? Yeah. And insofar as it, I want to go back to this idea of the length that it took to to make and actualize the entire film, because I feel like if I were in your position, my relationship to these characters and, and my understanding of who these characters, quote unquote, are, as you, as you said, like, who is everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine that that understanding is dynamic and fluid <laughs> and, and actually uh, and tenuous and fragile. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine you sitting in the back of the screenings at these different, you know, these different festivals that you go to. Um, these characters, I, I would imagine, are reintroduced to you constantly. And has has your understanding of their realities and their desires and challenges changed over time as you've you've gotten more distance from um, from two thousand six? I don't think my understanding has ch- uh, changed, but I think my closeness to these characters has increased. You know, I sort of, you know, people say to me, who's your favorite character? It's not, it's a not sort of non-question. Um, and it's, um, I feel, yes, I feel I see them clearer. I feel I see them because they were ideas to begin with. I mean, they're kind of embodied now on the screen. And um, especially when I'm sitting in a screening where there are other people watching it, I can feel the sort of reaction there. So I would say that's the development of it. It's, it's not, I don't suddenly see them in a completely new light. I don't, you know. Um, and then, of course, there are, there are characters that have gone by the board because I had to cut the film. I had to cut the script down in order to be able to make it. Yeah. And that's, that's grief. You know, I have a grief about that. But um but it's an interesting idea that yes, that it's it's a sort of um, it's a fluid thing, and your relationship to them may change, does change. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, you are certainly changing over time, yeah. and so your and your relationship to, to memories of those, not the memories of that reality, but the memories of your memory, your me- the, your memories of how you perceive that stuff at the time, mm. um, changes, uh, especially on when it's something as emotional and uh, complicated as remembering a time with such violence. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot has changed in Iraq since 2006, um, but in some ways, maybe not much. Um, do you feel like the the movie uh, has sort of new meaning in 2023? Uh, I, I, 
I think it may do. Yes, I think it may do because I think it's um, it's not. You know, I wasn't really focused or interested in you know the perpetration of, of of violence and showing a lot of blood on the streets and all the rest of it. I didn't. I mean, it was with the people. So I think it's it's uh, with people's daily lives. You know, and yeah. uh, and I think. Uh, which is what I'm interested in, and and I think it's not what happens to you, but what you do with it. How people, how this kind of sense of resistance and sumud, in a way, you know, um, steadfastness, actually uh, carries through. So I think it's um, yes, a lot has changed in a way. Um, the, I mean, the biggest thing that happened, uh, I think, is the uprising in 2019. Uh, um, which was quite similar to what went on in Lebanon, um, of uh, initially started by young people to, in Tishreen in, in October. Um, and it was extraordinary because um, it became an, a, a complete population involvement. I mean, all kinds of people joined in, you know, people who lived in the countries and came to the cities, uh, children, uh, grandparents, women, men, everybody, you know, uh, doctors, lawyers, um, artists of all kind. Um, and that was an extraordinarily um, positive thing to happen. And that energy is still there. I mean, I was in Iraq in March of last year, so almost a year ago. And um, the creative energy among the young people um, was extraordinary. I mean, I, I did two workshops, one in Baghdad and one in Mosul. Uh, and the Mosul went through hell, you know, with ISIS and everything like that. But the energy to make new and to create new things and to change things was astonishing. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, the change that I, I noticed that has happened. Yeah. Can I ask you about one of the uh, the school that you co-founded? Mm. Um, so it's it's a free school dedicated to documentary filmmaking and supporting local Iraqi aspiring filmmakers. Do I have that part correct? Yes, it was. It's closed. It was. We kept it going for ten years. Uh, yeah, and then and uh, it was it was sort of it was open to everybody. We were the the, the background of that is that Qasim Abed, who is my partner in this uh, project, we both uh, did quite a lot of teaching in Palestine. In um, in Ramallah and uh, Jerusalem and Gaza, and um, in two thousand and three, we were sitting in Ramallah in a cafe, going, "Okay, so it's happened. So, what are we going to do?" And we weren't, you know, we're not doctors or engineers or anything useful; we're just filmmakers. And so, uh, we decided to start to start this this place. And and Kasim went back to see his family, and we asked if people might be interested in this, because a lot of um, Iraqis who've been living outside went back to Baghdad and decided to tell the people who've been living through all this stuff how they should do things. And we just, or, you know, or what they needed. And we decided that was really not the way to go. It's just find out was there. And um, and so we set it up in 2004. Yeah. And uh, And it was, and it was free of charge because nobody had money. And we got a few grants to sort of, and it was very, and you know, it's like, it's called a film school. It was actually two rooms in a, in a, in a flat with um, yeah. a couple of computers and 
two, three cameras maximum. And we used to do the, and we couldn't go out into the streets for a while because, um, because it was dangerous because, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda was around. And so uh, at one point there was a bomb that went off sort of near us and the glass shattered inside the building and all this sort of business. But, um, and at times students couldn't get in because their, their areas were under siege and so forth. But it was, um, it, it, it carried on for quite a while. And yeah. They were brave. I mean, they, they just pitched in. And sometimes they would work for a long time doing research for a little documentary film. And everybody was set up. And then suddenly somebody would get killed or, some, or something would happen in that area. And so they'd have to completely rethink. So um, it's, it, it was yeah. Great. Can you give us a sense of the, the, the types of the, the, the subject matter? I mean, 18, 18 films is a lot. Um, you know, can you give us a sense of what were some of the, the topics and ideas that some of the, these students were thinking through? Well, um, they were, there was, uh, one guy who comes from the Mandai community. Um, and, uh, he did, he made a film, for example, about his, his family having to leave, having to leave and go to Syria. That was one. Um, there was a guy who made a film about the um, the Shabender Cafe, which is in, in Mutanebi Street. Mutanebi Street is the street of booksellers yeah. in Baghdad, yeah. and there's a very famous um, cafe there, which has been there since 1918, I think. Um, which is a sort of literary cafe, and it's always packed with people. And all of that was blown up in 2007. Um, yeah. So he, but he had before that, just before that, this guy had gone to make a thing about this. And this was a, this was a boy whose house had been hit by a bomb as well. And, uh, and he came out and he was, um, he'd, he'd filmed his uh, stuff. And he, at that point, people were being kidnapped all over the place. And some people jumped out of a car and grabbed his camera off him. And, um, and he, he sort of held on to it and they um, shot him in the leg and he just lay on the pavement bleeding for a while they went away some but nobody dared come near him finally a woman ran into the street and got a cab and was taken to hospital and everything finally he recovered and he went on to make and he made that film but his um his fellow students we we did the the editing of that course that particular course we did that in uh, damascus actually and his um you know people who were in the course with him finished the film for him because at that point he was in hospital. He recovered and he made a film about um, journalists in Iran, journalists trying to to sort of, because a lot had been uh, wounded and so forth. And so he made quite a good film about that. Some people made a film, a guy made a film about um, um, widows, what happens to a widow. Um, um, He's from Karbala. There was another guy who made a film about... um, Music in Syria. Amazing. All kinds of stuff, all kinds of yeah. stuff. Um, Before we move on to the films of note section that we do for movie night, I just want to ask you about um, the production of uh, Our River, Our Sky. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, sort of the crew and, and you shot between Syria and Iraq, correct? No, okay. we didn't shoot in Syria. We shot the whole thing in Iraq. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about what that actually looked like. We have a question in the chat 
um, from Basima, which is what challenges did you face when asking women to tell their stories, especially in the period of sectarian violence in Iraq? Did you face any risk being in Iraq again with uh, Al-Qaeda's presence? Um, so, I mean, that coupled with just the, the operational challenges of uh, producing a film in a place with so much violence. Um, what do you remember from those days? Well, the, the, the film that she's referring to about women telling their stories, that was made here in London. That wasn't made in Iraq. It was about Iraq, and they had to be very careful because their families were still back in Iraq. And so if they were critical of the government, their families would get, um, well, might be affected, you know, might be arrested or something. Um, so that's that film. By the time, in 2019, um, the, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, ISIS had been defeated for the time being. And um, so we went, we went to, we shot part of the film, the, the, the scenes, the, a lot of the interior scenes and the stream of the scenes on the street where most of us in the neighborhood. That was shot in Sleimania in Kurdistan. And uh, we were very lucky. Um, we found a, um, a street that resembled Baghdad because the whole thing is set in Baghdad, resembled Baghdad because in the 1960s, there was a program to give government employees a loan from the government bank a plot of land and a loan from the gov uh, government bank to build a house. And there were five different um, designs of houses and you could choose the kind of house you wanted to build and you would build the house. And once the house was built, um, you were given a, a pomegranate tree, an orange tree and a palm tree to put in your garden. And then you had to pay the loan. So these, um, so there are lots of areas in different cities in Baghdad in, in Iraq who have these same, look the same. So that was the street that we shot on. And we shot there for three weeks um, with a variety of people. And our and in terms of logistics, I mean, we had a lot of support from a local production company. Um, and the actors had to get, some of them were Iraqi, uh, most of them were Iraqi, but based, a lot of them based outside the country, in Sweden, for example, in, in, in Germany. And so they were, and in the UK, they were coming and going um, to do their roles. Um, the then the last part of the film was shot in Baghdad itself, okay. and we got we got to Baghdad, and uh, a lot of it is focused on the river, as you know, as you see. Um, and oh, that was great! I was very happy to be in Baghdad. Um, because it's the city I know best. And, you know, my grandparents used to have a, a house on the river, so I was, I'm very close to the river. But we got there, and the police came up to us, and they said, what are you, who are you? What are you doing here? We said, we're making a film, et cetera. We have some scenes here on the river. They said, look at the, look at the river. Look how high it is. It was been, it had, it had tremendous rainstorms up north, and so they'd opened up the dams to let, so it wouldn't flood. Which, and they said, we won't let you go out onto the river. And I said, well, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. We have to. And they said, no, it's too dangerous. So we went through a bit of all that. And finally, the river subsided a bit and we got to do what we needed to do there. So we didn't have any problems, actually. That's great. We didn't have any harassment. It's a, there was only one um, scene where there's a guy running down a very battered street. Um, 
the taxi driver guy, the runs down, um, I ratted to me. And the first assistant director said to me, you sit in the car. You said, just go out, out of sight, sit over there. And I said, why? You know, it's me, I have to direct. He said, no, this is full of drug dealers and militias and just, just don't be here, you know? <laughs> and so I got grumpy and went and sat in the car. And the, and the, and um, our DOP was British very experienced in shooting all over the world um, and very experienced in dealing with and diffusing difficult situations. So he was great. And he loved, he fell in love with Baghdad big time. It was extraordinary. And uh, he was told in, on that, so don't put up a tripod. Don't, you know, the, the boom has got to be over there, out of sight. And just, we shoot these shots and then we just get out of here. So. Interesting. Yeah, but we didn't nope. have any aggravation. Everybody thinks that, you know, there was, um, you know, there might have been bombs or whatever. There wasn't. Okay. Yeah. The last question I want to ask you before we move to the films of note, actually, is when a audience sees this film, do you have a specific thing that you hope that they walk away with? Is there a message that you hope that they take away from um, watching the film? I guess that... Uh... Just a, sh a, a sharper awareness of the fallout of wars. You know, people tend to concentrate on the on the on the shooting and so forth, but actually, what's going on inside people and how they're trying to live a life despite everything that's happening. Um, one one reaction that I got from um, uh, somebody who saw it in the states uh, said to me, "We we thought, God." Um, what would I do if I were in that position? What would I do? What would I do? Would I stay? Would I go? What would I do if I was the taxi driver being threatened? Would I, you know, um, and that pleased me a lot because I mean that's that's the point. I mean the scene. The thing is, my I was really desperate to, to show people as not as victims because if if you get anybody talking about the Iraqis or the Syrians, it's as victims, just. And I wasn't really interested in that. And so that's that's relation that, that to understand actually the human cost of, of, of it all and the and and how people and resilience, resilience and resistance, what people do to keep themselves going. Yeah. Well, I think that comes across for sure. Um okay, let's 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 do the films of note. These are four films for every um every uh, movie night episode we ask our guests to pick a few films that we think uh, that they think people should check out. So the first category is the film that most influenced your film. You mentioned it already, but tell our listeners what it is. The Rules of the Game. It's a, a, a film by Jean Renoir, and it's um, uh, a f also a collective story about a lot of people who come to stay for a weekend in a sort of aristocratic um, country house. And there's all kinds of stories being unraveled there that you see. And it, it's it's a film without... Um, a central character. At the end of it, you're thinking, well, who's the central character? And central character, uh, in a way, is somebody who's quite marginal. And um, so that that certainly influenced my film in terms of thinking of, of telling a collective story and telling a, a story of intersecting stories. Wasn't it remade as well, this, this movie? I don't know. I haven't seen a remake of it. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. Um, okay, let's go to the second one. The next one is uh, the film that always makes you laugh. 
Well, most things by Jacques Tati. Um, I like Playtime a lot. It's really a bonkers film. You know, you come out of it and you're like, the whole world has sort of changed. <laughs> it's all going very weird and chaotic. It's it's um, it's very funny. It's very sharp. It's critical of all kinds of things. And it's I like of his films. I like this one, and I like Mon Oncle, my uncle, which is just which is a bit close to Charlie Chaplin in modern times. It's just when the machinery, all the kind of gadgets and stuff that we live with, suddenly go wrong, and it's very funny, you know. But Playtime, I think, is very funny. It's a great film. Do you like it? I've I've never seen it, so I'll see it. See it. It's I really will. Crazy. I I ask these questions just so I can que- uh, expand my queue of films to see. Okay, uh, the film that you rewatch all the time. Yes, it's um, the uh, it's the the story of Apple, um, and it's part of a trilogy uh, by Satyajit Ray. Uh, Indian filmmaker, wonderful, very humane um, filmmaker. And this is the the third part. It's the sort of concluding thing. It's the story. And it starts with this person, Apu, as a young, as a young boy with his sister in a village. That's the first, that's the first chapter in um, in the trilogy. And then we catch him in as he's sort of on the cusp of adolescence. Um, in in Benares, they've moved, and then this is when he's older, and he marries. He, uh, it's a complicated story, but he's he's sort of um, uh, a friend of his is betrothed to somebody, and is to marry. Uh, no, it is uh, yes to marry somebody, and it turns out that the person that that has been chosen for the woman to marry actually is um, is not all there. And she refuses mm-hmm. to marry him, and so forth. And it's 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 impossible. It's it's uh, Ayub. It's, it's yeah. and all this. And so he decides to step in and marry this woman, and he does. And that's it's their story. And it's very, it's very touching. It's very beautiful. I think. Um, yeah. There's cool. a scene in it that I particularly like when they sort of they're they're back in in, you know, it's their first flat together. They're they're together and. She's up cooking, and he's he just wakes up and he finds a bit of her hair on the pillow. And I don't know what. It's just it's a wonderful film. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And the last one is a film that is most beautifully shot. Sunshine mm-hmm. Yeah, this is by Mitsuguchi, by Kenji Mitsuguchi, whose films I love. Um, Japanese filmmaker, and this is about um, uh, a sort of. Uh, an official, uh, and and uh, he gets he gets uh, banished. His family gets banished, and so the mother, the wife, and the two children get banished as uh, a boy and a girl, and um, they are separated by bandits. The the woman is is um, is kidnapped, and the kids are sort of left. They're lost, and we follow um, their lives, and it's incredibly stirring beautiful um stuff there's a there's a scene in it where somebody the daughter wades into the into the water and shrivels around her i think when she's given up all hope of everything of ever finding her mother. um amazing it's a it is a, have you seen this film no 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 i haven't see it see it it's really good have you seen there's his the first film of his i saw was called ugetsu monogatari which means something like ghost story 
No, I haven't seen that either. I have to. That is, I mean, they're stunning films. They're stunning. Yeah. Films. Yeah. I am, I am, my, my, um, the list of films from Japan that I've seen is uh, embarrassingly short. So um, I have to spend some time doing that. Well, you're but, young yet. That's why. <laughs> no, I think, uh, yeah, I have to, I have to uh, make time because I, I'm excited about it. And it looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I want to wrap up by just telling people um, where they can find more information about the film. So uh, on our screen here, I have the the Twitter account, a River Our Sky, which is uh, easy to find on Twitter. Um, but Mason, where can people actually watch this? I mean, let's say we have a listener right now who's in Spain or in California or in Marrakesh or Beirut um, or London, where can people get their hands on the film? Um, at the moment, it's not it's not really available. On you know, it's um, it will be released in this country in September. Okay, only got a distributor. Um, we have a sales agent. I mean, if if somebody wants to show it, for example, in, in a college or something like that, or a community event. Um, there is there is a sales agent that um, I can put them in touch with in France, who would arrange that. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I, I suppose yeah. if you get my email, I can. Uh, well, um, you can go to the website riverskyfilm.com. Yeah. Um, and then that's the easiest way I think to to connect with you, Mason. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking time to do this. Um, I think it's uh, a really beautiful work, and I'm excited that it's a part of Africa Movie Night. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on for it. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.